us the way of salvation. And so our scriptures are unfolding what that actually means bit by bit. This year we are in the Gospel of Mark, and so we continue in Mark's account of what Jesus has been doing in what is now called the Holy Land. Last week we saw that he was calling the first disciples, Peter and Andrew and James and John, and saying, come and follow me. We explored a little bit about what that meant for us. Now, Mark, ever, you know, a study in brevity itself, has Jesus manifesting an aspect of him that, that people really haven't encountered to the fullness of which we'll see in a moment. He is in Capernaum. He's in his hometown. And when the Sabbath came, being a good observant Jew and also being a rabbi, he finds himself in the synagogue and he begins to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. This was just our home guy. We, we know this guy, but he's, we're amazed at what he's teaching, they say, because he has taught them as one who has authority and not teachers of the law. Immediately, the word authority is associated with the teaching of what Jesus is bringing. That sense of power, that sense of, yes, this is what is right, this is what is true, this is what should be regulating who we are and what we're about. Authority is what they recognize. I think it would have been hard to actually describe, but they know it, they feel it. They sense that God is doing something through this man called Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And so they remark upon it. But this idea of authority is just getting started because our text goes on because this isn't apparently any ordinary service. What happens was, what had happened was, there was a fellow in the synagogue at that time who was possessed by an unclean spirit. And just as Jesus is in there and teaching, the spirit cries out, not the man, but the spirit through the man cries out directly at Jesus and says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Wow. If you're in the synagogue at that time, you're like, this is not an ordinary synagogue service. Something is happening. How does Jesus respond? He says, be quiet, exclamation point, be quiet. The word that we use, the word bound is a better translation of what be quiet is. It, means, it doesn't mean stop talking. It means to stop being in control of this man. Be bound, be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And now Jesus is not only rebuking the spirit, but casting him out. This is an exorcism, we would call it today. This is Jesus casting out the impure spirit that had gained control of this man. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. So if his teaching wasn't impressive enough, now the people have an encounter with the demonic realm where Satan lives. The people were all so amazed. Here's the reaction. They were all so amazed that they asked one each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. There's that word authority again. Jesus has the authority to cast out spirits. What does that mean? What is that telling us about Christ himself? 
It's more than just kind of a, a, a wonderful, a wonder or display in Bible times. It is something that has a message for us today. What is that message? It is that he is the one who comes with authority. At the top of Mark's gospel, he is saying in the beginning the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He's t- giving us this gospel so that we would know who Jesus is. And somebody who is the Messiah and the Son of God has to come with the power, with the authority, with the charter, with the description, if you will, of what it means to be sent by God. And Jesus demonstrates this with this encounter with the impure spirit. The people that are in the synagogue have a ringside seat to what's going on between the heavenlies, in the heavenlies. If, you're, if uh, you read the John's Gospel this morning, uh, Jesus is encouraging his disciples and he refers to Satan as the prince of this world. There is a battle that is going on. There is something that's happening. There's a battle between the Lord and God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Satan and his principalities, his, his minions, if you will. Paul refers to this as the dominion of darkness. Now, there's a lot that's been made of that in our culture and kind of spooky stuff and exorcisms and things like that. But this is a serious thing because this is a fundamentally, this is revealing. If you, if you have that ringside seat, you're seeing the battle that really matters. You have Satan and his, his forces, all the angels that followed him in the, his original fall. They are, they are relentless and they are ruthless and they are crafty and they are cunning. They have one objective, which is to keep people who are separated from God, and that is all of us who are born into this sin world with a sin nature. Their one objective is to keep us from being reconciled to God, to be reconnected with the only one who could ever love us the way we need to be loved, who can ever provide us for the, with the things that we need to have provision for, who has the only one with enough power that he would use for, to our blessing and welfare and benefit. The devil and his forces are arrayed against that wonderful and divine plan of restoration. And they waste no opportunity to go after us. And so with Jesus coming on the scene, some impure spirit knows what this means. They know, it, it knows that its time is up. It knows that they're now being, they, that their days are short. And that should be encouraging to us. When I was reading this text and praying through it, I thought, what is it about the authority of Jesus that would be helpful for us today? I think our text gives us some obvious places. The first thing that, we, that helps me, at least, is the authority of Jesus is that which, which rescues us. It rescues us. You see, this man is being rescued. The authority of Jesus actually gives the power to rescue This man is bound with an impure spirit. This man is some, uh, one who is incapable of, of his own actions, independent of being overwhelmed by the enemy. And so Jesus, by casting him out, is demonstrating the power to rescue. He's also he's establishing the fact that he is the son of God. When the enemy attacks us, 
and we are in the crucible of what that attack looks like. Know that the, we who belong to Christ are under his authority, and he will use that authority if we seek him to, to rescue us from whatever challenge or issue that we're in. There's a lot of issues and challenges that we're in that we need rescuing from, aren't there? There's things that even as Christians, we're not yet on the way to the perfection that God has for us. We're not at that place of Christ-likeness that is our call, that is our joy. We're in, still in this place of kind of already but not yet. We need to be more like Christ because that is where the joy of the Lord, that's where the the sense of what life is truly about, the purpose that we get from it, the strength that we get to go through challenging things. But we're not there. We're, we're still in a world that needs rescue. I saw this quote in, in thinking about this. We need rescue from uh, Paul. St. Paul calls them strongholds in his letter to the Corinthians. And I came across this, this quote from Ray Stedman some of you know Ray Stedman, literally down the road from here, he started Peninsula Bible Church. And 50 years ago, 1968, in a message he brought, he wrote these things. 68, if you know your American history, is a pretty tumultuous time. Huge anti-Vietnam War protests going on. Um, the president at the time has already decided not to run again. Couldn't, you know, there's no way he would have been elected. Lots of racial turmoil. Dr. Martin Luther King assassinated. Robert Kennedy, a candidate for the Democratic nomination, assassinated. 68 was a very difficult time. Stedman observes this about strongholds, about the way the enemy still comes at this world and comes at us. He said, long-standing evil protected, buttressed, and defended by the general attitude of an entire community or a segment of society resisting all attempts to overthrow it and persisting in holding thousands in bondage and darkness, misery and despair. Strongholds are, are ways where the enemy has built up more and more of this malevolent capital that they continue to use to bind and to constrain the saints and to keep other people from coming into the kingdom. Stedman goes on to say race, preju race prejudice is the kind of stronghold. Bigotry seizes the minds of people and discrimination against individuals because of the color of their skin, colors everything that is done. Materialism is another, we'd call that today, consumerism. I would say this, that in the major stronghold, uh, <laughs> this is very true, what he says next, I would say that this is the major stronghold of evil in California, as well as in other parts of the United States. Materialism, which is the love of things, it is the love of things that blinds, debases, and blunts our capacity for life. When we say Jesus is the authority, we need that authority. We need to be rescued from these affections and these afflictions which continue to press in on us, which we, if we're really candid, give ourselves over to at certain times. And we know that when we're in those places where our spirit, the spirit of God in us tells us we're in a place where we shouldn't be, where we don't belong, where we were not made to be. So praise God that his authority if we turn to him, will rescue us from that. The other thing that the authority of Jesus does, it is actually a place of protection and safety. It's the power to rescue, but it's a place of protection and safety. 
As I said, not much has changed a whole lot, I think, since Ray Steadman gave that message. We still, in, and I think even more in our culture today, we feel less safe. I'm not, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I would venture to say people feel less safe today than they felt perhaps a, a year ago, maybe even six months ago. There's a lot going on, th institutions and ways of life in America that seem to be helpful and blessed and encouraging, seem to be more uh, tentative, shaking, foundations showing cracks. The enemy, of course, is still busy. The enemy is continuing trying to exploit not only macro things, but things going on in our own lives. How does he do that? What, you know, he's, how, do, how, do we, how do we experience the authority of Christ as a place of protection? You do that by saying, Lord, look, I'm, when I go, when we leave this sanctuary today, we will be going back to our, a world in our lives that is, has the challenges that we left when we came here and has the uncertainties and has the, the gap between what we think we need and what we know we have, all those things, whether that's wisdom or finances or health, all those things. The, the authority of the Lord is the one that helps us in the midst of that. His word tells us, if we would stay, here's the point, of the protection of the authority of the Lord. His authority is known in what he says and how he's taught us and what he demonstrated when he came to this earth, how he is training up his disciples. And if we would stay in that place, stay in that realm, we would be less prone to drift to the other spots, the places that are enticing, you know, when the enemy is pursuing us, he's not giving us a hard road or things that aren't attractive. He's giving us stuff that, that caters to our fallen nature or speaks to some deficit. This is how clever he is. When we have a deficit, perhaps we haven't felt a, a need to, we haven't really had that desire, that human innate desire to be loved met in the way that we know it should be met. And so we start to seek something that is less than what God wants. Perhaps there's a legitimate financial need or need for, yeah, and, and we begin to think that there's other ways to meet that need than just being faithful to the commands of God. Maybe we're tired of living in obscurity or not seeing the uh, talents that we think we have bear fruit and be acknowledged. And so maybe there's other things that maybe we could do to get that. What these have in common is a sense of leaving the presence and the security of God's authority and moving out on our own. A little bit like the prodigal son who just got tired of being the second son, doing the same old stuff each and every day, but he was what? Un he was in under the authority of his father and under the protection of his father. But he goes to a far off country and that great adventure that he thought he was about to have proved fairly brief used all his money, had plenty of friends while he had money, and then when the money went out, the friends left. The enemy just wants to keep bringing us into things that he promises will give us life, but ultimately will be fruitless. So we go to the authority of God's word. Here's, I'm always a fan of Proverbs. Uh, if you haven't read Proverbs in a while, it's worth it. Here's, here's Proverbs 2 about what I'm talking about. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. 
then you will understand what is right and just and fair in every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge of the pleasant to your soul. When we walk in God's ways, when we walk under his authority, the things that, are earned, the, the things that we want most in our heart become satisfied, not just because he may give us those things that we want of genuine deep friendships and relationship and provision and resources and a sense of having uh, the gifts he's given us validated, but what we find is that our true love is in him. What we truly need at the bottom when all is said and done is to remain in his presence and to be loved by him. And that can partly be done, that can only be done as we adhere to the authority that he gives, to his rule and his reign, to his power to submit ourselves to that. Even when we don't know when those, even while we still have these longings in our heart. So God's, God's, Jesus' authority rescues us. Jesus' authority is the thing that provides us protection. Um, he's like, a, he's like a, a good parent. You know, a good parent is supposed to keep us from harm. And we don't always understand why they're saying what they're saying. We don't know, how many of you always understood when your parents said no, why they said no? Perhaps as Mark Twain said, the older, my, uh, the older I got, the, more, the smarter my father got. <laughs> There's a sense that as we draw in under the presence and authority of God, we know, oh, that's why you commanded that. That's why I'm supposed to forgive. That's why I'm not supposed to go to Egypt and instead stay where you are. So I realize that this is a little bit easier said than done, and here's where it gets even a little trickier. Well, before it gets a little trickier, just let me say, uh, as, as the, uh, Jesus' authority is our power to rescue and our place of protection, it's also the promise of eternity. All authority has been given to me, says Jesus, by my Father. And then he says at the end of Matthew, go into all the world, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, what? I will be with you always. John 20, 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. In the authority of Christ comes the assurance and promise of our salvation. In the authority of Christ comes that place of protection that we need. But as I said, it gets a little tricky. Why is it tricky? Because this authority that we've been talking about, the authority of Jesus, the authority that we need that does all these things that we've been talking about is actually now the authority that he gives to his church. Uh-oh, really, he gives to the church? Do, do some of you have friends that are struggling with church or their church experience or have left or don't wanna go? Oftentimes, if you trace that out, there's some hurt, some issue, some, some challenge that, that can be traced to a misuse of authority, the God-given, the Christ-given authority by those that were, it was given to. By, by, you know, this Jesus gives his authority to the apostles and they give it to, they appoint elders and, and they bring Paul up into the flock as, as the, the apostle to the Gentiles, but they're having to appoint leaders to succeed them in each and every generation. And some of those leaders still haven't separated themselves from the world. Some of them are trying to live in two places at once. They're trying to be what God wants them to be, sort of, but their really hearts are still drawn to the accolades of the world or the riches that are there. In Philippians, Paul is already w- telling the Philippians, 
Look, I know that there's a lot of people that are out there preaching the gospel essentially for money. But I just rejoice that the, at least the gospel's getting preached. He's not endorsing them. He's recognizing that church leadership is, it itself is always on the way of becoming more like Christ. And those times where that hasn't happened, people have been hurt and they've been wounded and they've separated from the one place where Christ has really left his authority. The church is, you know, he's, he is the priest, you know, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek and he's made us, we are what? A priesthood of all believers. And he is saying, yeah, this is where my authority is. This is why the church, when the church, Paul speaks a lot against sexual immorality. It speaks against uh, covetousness and greed. It speaks against trying to be prideful so that you're wounding others. These are things that still go on in our lives today. These are things far too often that have characterized aspects of the church. But God and Jesus and his authority doesn't have a different plan. we're still called to the sacred task of being his people. Church leaders are still called to the task of being his what? Servant, being humble before him. Moses, if you haven't looked at you know, the Pentateuch for a while or Exodus and the life of Moses, who scripture calls the most humble man, you realize how hard it was for him to lead Israel. Couldn't do it by himself. There are people that were rising up against him. They didn't like authority. You know, we don't like authority. We're a nation steeped in a rebellion against authority. We do, what we don't like is bad authority. What we don't like is authoritarianism. There's time to speak to things that will correct another sermon for another time. But let me just say this. For the church, the authority of Christ that he gives to his church by his spirit is the only authority, uh, is the authority that people need to be under that they might be rescued. That it is an authority that is invitational. It is authority that is protective. It is an authority that guarantees. And so I pray as we are in, uh, essentially we're in a new place, but I believe that God also has Holy Trinity in a new season. That, that new season of fruitfulness that new season of being the gospel people, that new season of, of taking the things that Ray Steadman pointed out and saying, well, how is it that we live lives that are faithful representations of God's kingdom where we're valuing every tribe and every nation, where we're not hoarding things in the last days, where we are, are calling out for, advocating for people that need help, showing care and concern for the poor, uh, providing uh, a moral compass for that which honors God. These are just some of the tasks of the church. These are the tasks and the calling of Holy Trinity. And these are the tasks in the days and months and years ahead if he gives us those that we will be doing together. And we do it in the name of Christ and under his authority. Amen.